Welcome to the Episcopal Church of the Holy Communion. Thank you for joining us for this sermon. You can find all of our sermons at holycommunion.net and our Facebook, YouTube, and podcast channels. Consider hitting like or subscribe. Consider sharing this sermon with others. It helps us to reach more people like you. We are so thankful to those who support our ministry. You can give today at holycommunion.net backslash give. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God. Amen, and please be seated. There, but for the grace of God, go I. How many times have you heard this said in a Bible study or a small group? How many times have you said it to yourself in your car as you wait for a light to turn and a person there on the medium is holding a cardboard sign with the word help? And the words come from your mouth. There, but for the grace of God, go I. Maybe the thoughts are, how did that person end up like that? What happened to them? Then the comparison, the judgment. I'm so lucky I'm not like that. Wow, I've got a good life. They don't. I'm so grateful that I'm not that panhandler. There, but for the grace of God. I'm not like those people. And so went the prayer of the Pharisee in the middle of the temple, counting his blessings and all he did to keep himself from becoming like those corrupt and contemptible people, like that tax collector back there. He had come to pray about himself, giving thanks to God that he was not like those other people. Now, before we say to ourselves right here, thank God we're not hypocritical Pharisees. I want to offer a word in defense of the Pharisee. This particular Pharisee is a caricature. Anyone who has met someone who brags about having it all together and then compares himself to another generally is not very likable. The people who hear this story are probably supposed to react with a little, ew, yuck. The tax collector isn't a good guy either. Tax collectors were notoriously corrupt. They were lining their own pockets as they worked for the enemy occupiers. They really hurt people, kept people impoverished as they grew rich. Again, encountering such a person, the people hearing this story were saying, ooh, yuck. Where is Jesus taking us with these two cringy characters? Well, he helps us out here by pointing to the tax collector. In this man, who has probably done some cruel and corrupt acts, There, off to the side, head bowed, 
eyes closed, the tax collector is honest and vulnerable. In that moment, in the temple, the tax collector strikes his heart and says, God, show mercy to me, a sinner. In that moment, he is vulnerable to some truth in himself. And Jesus points to this cringy guy saying, he's the one who's justified. Justified, which means in that moment, he is in right relationship with God. Moment. Parker Palmer and Marcy Jackson in their Courage and Renewal training for educators and nonprofit leaders, they talk about the ways we present ourselves to others. They talk about telling two kinds of stories. They call it ego stories and soul stories. Ego stories uh, being those that we put out to the world. And soul stories coming from this place of vulnerability. And here's their list. Ego stories are stories told for the sake of self-promotion as when we apply for a job. Ego stories focus on life's high spots when we have been successful and affirmed, try to portray us as, as in control or in charge of our lives, are often linear stories of continuity and consistency, stories that have a resolution. Ego stories are highly crafted stories that leave out the important things. Ego stories may ignore or falsify certain information by spinning the facts. They're always told in prose and sometimes involve numbers. Our stories that do not sustain us in times of suffering. Ego stories are stories we tell at a party when someone asks, what do you do? And they describe soul stories. Soul stories are the story beneath the ego story, the one with the thread of truth running through it. Soul stories honor shadow as well as light, suffering as well as gladness. Soul stories are often stories of twists and turns when our best laid plans were undone by the unexpected. Soul stories allow us to integrate the fragments with the whole, are unafraid of change, fear, loss, failure, and shame. Soul stories are unafraid of mystery, passion, and ecstasy. Soul stories are sometimes told in poetry, music, art, are stories that we can hold on to in the hardest of times, are stories we want the people we love most to know. Soul stories are the stories we are most likely to be reliving when we are awake at 3 a.m. 
or when we die. The reason Jesus is pointing to the tax collector is because it's hard for God to work with ego stories. The tax collector offered for what may have been that one, just one little moment, one crack, off, the side, off in the side of the temple, notice it, it's written as at a distance, he offered his vulnerability, a glimpse of his soul story. What soul stories are about is that yucky vulnerability. They're about admitting that we don't have it all together. They're about letting others see the whole me. While eagle stories can be like a wall, blocking others from seeing the whole real person. When God hears soul stories and prayers of vulnerability, God says, I can work with that. Ego stories, ah, that's going to be a wrestling match. Whew. God can work with the tax collector, says Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that God just leaves the tax collector there. No, with just a little bit of prayer from some empty place in his being, God's grace could work through that. Maybe make some changes. It was an opening for God to work, to come through. Stay tuned for next week's gospel story of the tax collector Zacchaeus. I'm pretending maybe, and maybe there's some truth that maybe they're the same tax collector here. God can work with just a little bit of vulnerability. Just like a, a little bit of grit in your shoe that keeps disturbing your steps, makes you stop in your tracks from time to time with that discomfort, trying to get it out. There is this notion of grit, grind, and grace. I learned it from my Enneagram teacher, B. Chestnut. And she described it this way. She said, grit is that thing that gets your attention, that allows you to see yourself caught in the act of being your in your habitual ego patterns of thinking, feeling, and behaving. A way to observe a space between an ego story and a soul story. It's a self-awareness that allows you to know you have a soul story and to be in touch with that just a little bit. And the grind is using that space created with grit awareness to loosen from your ego story, to allow you to live more and more from a truth, allowing you to return to your soul story. So it can be a grind. Oh, there I am, there I am, there I am. Or it can be like grit, uh, like a little seed that you grind up and it becomes like something nourishing, like cornmeal or, or flour, right? And grace. Well, grace is always there. We have to be careful about this. Grit and grind do not produce grace. See, it's all circular and interchangeable, and we can't control it. Grace is by its very nature 
something given. See, even grace can give the grit. And we can refuse to grind. Sometimes the grind exhausts us. We give up. Grace comes in, the emptiness. And we realize, oh, I've been coming from my ego all along. By grit and grind, we are seeking our soul story. And to live from our soul story more and more. Our grit coming as moments of humility, humiliation, self-awareness, and risking to be vulnerable. And from this, from this, we become receptive pliable to God's grace. We turn our life energy to be about grit and grind, to keep opening to God's grace to work us, rather than spending the energy on keeping our egos intact and in control. It means we try to participate rather than resist God working us and through us. And by the grace of God, to live from our soul story. These are inner changes, inner practices. Of course, another challenge is with the Pharisee in the story is that he is always comparing himself to others with contempt. He can't see the image of God in those who he compares himself with. He's looking outward instead of inward. And so, in telling the stories of these two extreme characters, Jesus invites those who trust in themselves to consider where God's grace might enter their lives. And in the telling the story, Luke invites you and me to examine where our ego stories might be keeping us from what we really want in our relationship with God and with others. It's an invitation to vulnerability, an invitation, even if just for a moment, by accident, to let down our guard, to try to give up trying to prove ourselves to God, to others, and let the grace of God take us there. Amen. Amen.